so on the sabbatical, I learned a lot of things. Had some time um, to not be in the office. Uh, I went to both coasts, and that was incredible. Um, I had a lot of time in solitude and then a lot of time in my workshop. And at the end of six weeks of, of maybe listening to God or listening for God in a new way, I felt like this, this summer he was saying, Josh, you have to, you have to raise the voice of the student platform, um, not only within the leadership realm, but within the teaching space. Um, and so the idea is, is this is what we, what we have seen Jesus do with his followers. Jesus gives the keys to the kingdom to his followers. And so I've tried that at different points in my past. Uh, this was uh, Anson. <laughs> I gave her the keys to the kingdom, uh, the joyride kingdom. And so we learned our lesson on her. And so then we had these keys to the kingdom. This is Quinn. Backwards helmet, pacifier in, backpack on, in the, on the tricycle with the blanket, and I'm pretty sure a diaper underneath. But that there's no evidence to corroborate that idea. The idea is this. The idea is this. We have to continually be giving our ministry away. And so in my life, what that looks like is my daughters. Uh, it also looks like in my ministry, you guys. I have to be continually raising and speaking uh, teaching, equipping, and then stepping back and allowing you to take leadership. And that's exactly what Jesus did for Peter. Uh, Peter has done this effectively in Acts 2. He did it at Pentecost. He did it in Samaria. And he is about to use the keys of the kingdom again to open the door to the Gentiles. And so here is our text for the evening. At Caesarea, there's a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. Uh, he and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So an opening, opening few verses here, and what we see is the city. The city is uh, Caesarea. It is built for and in honor of whom? Take off the uh at the end, and you'll catch the reference. It's a pretty big deal uh, because Cornelius' role in Caesar's city was as the leader of the military. So I did the, the research on it. Approximately 600 soldiers. And what Cornelius' role would have been to be in, in charge of 100 of them. So he is one of the top seven men in all of Caesar's city. But hand in hand with that, he is a devout, godly man expressing his generosity to people who need it. One of the things I saw about this as I was researching is that he is the devout man and a regular prayer to God, but he's still a Gentile. And the idea is that all through uh, the story, as we've known it up until this point, there's a chasm. There's a gulf that cannot be crossed between the Gentiles and the Jews, and that's not the way that God intended it. If you read the Old Testament for yourself, what you'll find is that, that God's chosen people, the Jews, were never to separate themselves and their uh, message of hope the goodness of what God called them to be in the world. They were never to separate that from people who were different than them. They were called to live differently as an example, but never to separate themselves differently. They were called to move into the world. And you and I don't uh, get this. And so this was incredible. And, and basically the word that was used all throughout the Old Testament 
as the Jewish leaders uh, distorted the idea of being set apart, the word we find throughout Scripture is elected. What that meant was um, special privilege and you're in and I'm out type of mentality. So far so that the Gentiles became known as dogs. If you were with us last year uh, when we talked through the book of Mark, one of our favorite stories was the Syrophoenician woman. And she looked at Jesus because she was a Gentile and he was in the wrong place as a Jew. And she, he said, I don't give the scraps to the dogs. And she says, yeah, but I'm a little dog. And I'm happy with just the crumb that gets knocked off the table. And, and for her chutzpah, by knowing the text, what Jesus did was say, well, of course you can come. There was never to separate the news and the message of the kingdom from the Gentiles. And that's what we watched. Here's the good news about Cornelius. Being a dog, air quotes, was not the defining quality of his life. In spite of this racial reality, he called on and looked for God in whatever capacity he had available. I want you to see it for yourself, and then I want to give you a chance to talk about it. So here's what it was. Verse 3 and 4. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Which, P.S., whenever you have kids someday, you have to give them the, the, um, the playground test, which is... Can you yell the kid that you might want to, the name that you might want to name your kid across the playground and like command authority? Cornelius! Like, I, that, that might pass. Ours is like, Quinn! Like, Lou! Get over here, right? And just yell at him. So that's what happened here, I think. Cornelius stared at him in fear. Duh, what is it, Lord? Exact same message that we heard Saul say last week. Everybody tracking? What is it, Lord? The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Okay, so this is the passage, and here's the question. What were Cornelius' prayers? What would they have been like, or what would they have been for? Let's read the passage one more time, then we'll read the question one more time, then I'll stop. Right, you'll go. Ready, go. One day at three in the afternoon, P.S., you all knew that that was the time that they offered sacrifices in the temple, Right? Three in the afternoon. That's why Cornelius is praying then. He's a God-fearer. Like, he knows this storyline. About that time, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Not quite the way I said it. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. You tell me. What were his prayers like, and what would he have been praying for? Ready, go. Are we all good? Okay, so here we are again. Just need someone to be brave enough. What would Cornelius have been praying for? What were his prayers like? We'll go with this section first. Okay, <laughs> quiet. Sweeping across slowly. Excellent. Yes. Time out. P.S. Catch the hangover episode from last week with my friend Luke Barrow on, on Saul's conversion. It was pretty incredible. He said things that I have never thought before. Go ahead. That's good. I'll take that. Praying for the outcome of his gifts. Ever you thought? Uh, 
I like that. So it's this idea one deeper. It's like, and Steve, I gave him money. I want him to use that well. Or I gave him food. God, fill him with the next. Yeah, I like that. I don't know if it was Steve. Okay. I like that. So let me, let me transition from there. I like that idea because here's the next verse. He's praying and his prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God, which is kind of weird, right? Memorial offering? Y'all should look that up on your own. That's not part of my sermon tonight. Maybe listen to the hangover tomorrow. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter in a Joppa. Um, that's not part of it. Here's what happened. Immediately, the prayers were given an opportunity to find obedience. This is interesting to me. Cornelius is a God-fearer, and he acts out his faith. And now all of a sudden, the, the angel shows up and says, you've been doing these things, and now you have something to do. And this is that idea of place before purpose. What I would like us to do tonight as we finish and move through Acts 10 is to think about how Peter is going to show up in this story and be converted. Often, this, this chunk of scripture is called Cornelius's conversion. And the idea is Cornelius has been living out the faith that he knows and he has the opportunity to be obedient in a moment to God. And so what I think is happening here is that Peter is the one who knows that the Gentiles are dogs. Peter is the one who is going to show up in our text. And in fact, you don't have to hear me talk about this one. I have a friend named Danielle who taught it in a way better way than me. So watch her. This process of change is in every transformational idea. I was... I cannot get this moment out of my head. Acts chapter 10. It's this Acts 10 moment. It's Peter. It's, it's this one guy, a disciple of Jesus, who's been tasked with this idea of taking this Jesus way to the whole world, but he has no way to do it. I mean, Peter is a Jew. Everything about him is Jewish. His diet's Jewish. His religion is Jewish. His belief system, his cultural norm, his prejudice, all of his context is Jewish. And up until this time in the history of the church, it's really just been a Jewish sect of Jewish people following a Jewish Jesus. And, and Peter is up on the roof of his friend's house and he's, he's praying and then he, he has this vision while he's praying and a sheet's descended from the ceiling. There's all these animals on it that he's not allowed to eat according to his Jewish religious law. And then he hears God say to him, kill them, Peter, kill them and eat. And Peter's like, no, Lord, no, Lord, which is an oxymoron. My favorite verse of that chapter is verse number 10, where it says, confused and disturbed, Peter wondered, what could this possibly mean? Catherine Booth, she's a co-founder of the Salvation Army. She said this, there is no changing the future without disturbing the present. All good leaders know that. Peter, absolutely confused and disturbed, and thankfully, right then, there was a knock at the door. 
you think it would have saved him, but instead it just increased the tension. Because who was at the door? Roman centurion soldiers were at the door. And if you're a Jew living at that time, if you read the rest of the New Testament story, you'll know when the Romans come knocking on your door, that's the right time to exit back door. Like, run for your life, Peter. And he's so terrified. He doesn't know what to do. And God speaks to him again. And this is how I envision it in my heart. I envision God as a 16-year-old, six-foot-two brother coming alongside Peter, saying, Peter, don't be afraid. I sent them to you. I'm moving you somewhere. I'm with you. Go with them. And Peter, with God's help, navigates the chaos of leaving behind everything that's familiar, everything that's normal, everything he's previously believed. What's up, guys? All right, so I'm going to continue from that point. Um, So we go into uh, what she just said, uh, Acts 10, 19 through 20. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And so the word hesitate will highlight it here, and the word hesitate... And it's actually the Greek word medin, dikrenomos. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, probably terribly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that's the, that's the Greek word. And it wouldn't be a proper college sermon if we didn't talk about the Greek word. Um, <laughs> and so as the video said, this translates to uh, without hesitation. But it could also translate to making no distinction. And the only reason I bring that up is that's kind of what the sermon's about tonight. It's about making no distinction. And so that brings me to the next point, that this uh, sermon or this story is not about the bacon. As much as we all love bacon, this story is not about it. <laughs> so <laughs> all this, although this story has opened us to the wonders of bacon or other great foods, don't get caught up in the food. The story is about the opening of the kingdom of God to the Gentiles which is all of us. So this story is really impactful to us here because a lot of us here are Gentiles. And as Josh said, the kingdom of God has been opened to the people at Pentecost, Samaria, and now it's opening up to the Gentiles. So we know Peter has been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and now we're going to watch a little play here. Thompson, he probably deserved what happened. But just because you can beat him up, doesn't give you the right to. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. So Peter has a lot of responsibility here, so first thing... (laughs) First thing I thought of was, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Uncle Ben dropping a truth bomb there. Um, So Peter goes on to meet Cornelius, and in verse 25 it says, As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet in reverence, but Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. And so in this just a first initial passage of Peter meeting Cornelius, Peter makes two key distinctions here. One, treat no person like God, because he bows to him and he says, I am only a man myself. But two, treat no person like a dog. He does not treat Cornelius as less than him or unworthy. He enters his home, which is, for a Jewish person, is not allowed. 
But Peter follows the Spirit. He moves to the place that God leads him, even though he doesn't yet know the purpose. So for so long, the people, the Jewish people have perverted the scriptures into a sense of favoritism, as Josh has already talked about, that somehow they are better than these other people. They've also looked at the Gentiles as unclean dogs. And so the story is speaking profoundly to a new way of, of conversion for Peter. In verse 27, we read, while talking to him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or even visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? So here in this verse, Peter already lays out the point that his dream was not about the bacon. Uh, (laughs) So in verse 30, Cornelius then explains himself and the vision But now the question is raised, if the Gentiles are now saved, how are they saved? So Cornelius was a God-fearing man who had the spirituality and the service, but he was missing one thing. He was missing a savior. Cornelius was spiritually curious, but he didn't know who the character of Jesus was yet. So Peter steps into Cornelius' home. He then eats dinner with him, and then he asks, why am I here? And to which this, he then proclaims who Jesus is to Cornelius. So looking at the application of the scripture, which is the most difficult for you guys to do with the spiritual curious in our own lives? One, invite someone to church, invite them to dinner, having a conversation about faith and spirituality, or four, talk about the power of Jesus. So you guys can rank those on your own right now. Back to you. <laughs> All right, guys, bring it back. Back to me. <laughs> All right. So, guys, give me your watchmojo.com. We'll scale here. Which one, are you, which one do you feel like is the hardest to do? Give a one, two, three, or four. All right, so we got some fours. We got some ones. Ooh, a three. Nice. Oh, so, oh, some threes and fours over here. Nice. Well, so for many of us, threes and fours are the biggest hang-ups with interacting with the spiritually curious in our own lives. If this is the case for you, I invite you to come up to talk to me or Josh after encounter, and we can talk about how to do this better. But I think an easy step for everyone to take is simply, with the spiritually curious in our lives, is to simply ask them, how does spirituality or faith play a role in your life? Because if they're already spiritually curious, I think this is a simple question that can spark a conversation about who the power of Jesus is within our own lives. And so, in the Great Commission of Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. Our commission is to go to the places that God leads us, And then it is to find the purpose in those places, which is always the people. And the people we meet and interact with, and then ultimately, our mission is to proclaim who Jesus is boldly. The great thing to hear to those who aren't the best at speaking is that it's not our words that convert people to Jesus or to God. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that people's hearts might be changed. And so, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 4 Jonah gives the weakest sermon of all time. 
<laughs> by simply saying, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> uh, but even, even with this sermon, God is able to use this sermon. And immediately after he says this, all of the Ninevites repent and begin to believe in God. It is not us who change people's hearts. It is only God. So in Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 44, (laughs) while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So, it is not Peter's job to change the hearts of the people, and it is not our job to change the hearts of the spiritually curious in our own lives. It's our job to simply let God move us to places, and then to meet people within those places, find out who they are, and then proclaim who he is boldly within those places. He will take care of the rest. Changing our heart, changing our hearts is the hard part. We get the easy job of simply being able to just proclaim who he is and what he has done for our lives. And so with that, I'm going to end it here. And there'll be people praying in the back. If you're curious on how to start up a conversation with someone like that in their life, uh, I really encourage you to talk to either me or Josh about that. And we can uh, maybe coach you up. Maybe not. Who knows? (laughs) It's not my job to change your heart. (laughs) Jesus, thank you for this day, and thank you for uh, everyone who came out here. Uh, I just praise your name, and and thank you so much that uh, you're working in the people's lives or all around us. And so I just thank you for all the work that you do, and just uh, I really praise you for putting those people in our lives and just pray that we can follow your mission and, and take us where we need to go. Amen.